Dear listeners, this is the second podcast in our Reflow series. Reflow is a European project on co-creating circular and regenerative cities and is part of the Horizon 2020 program. Reflow seeks to understand and transform material flows in cities and help businesses, governments and citizens to create a resilient circular economy. In this series, frontrunners in different areas share their lessons. This podcast, I speak to James Veenhoff, founder of the Amsterdam-based House of Denim and initiator of the Denim Deal. Welcome, James. Hi. You are the founder of House of Denim Foundation, a not-for-profit organization that aims to inspire key stakeholders in the denim industry to take it towards a brighter blue. Yep. What does that mean? A brighter blue means a drier, smarter and cleaner denim industry. So first of all, the reason that we started this thing in the first place is that we we realized that in Amsterdam, to our surprise, uh, there's a a very strange ecosystem of really influential denim brands, which which is not normal. Obviously, we sort of professionally all grew up here thinking nothing of it, but compared to other cities, it's very rare to have so many independent brands that develop their own collections and can make choices, so more or less sustainable choices, in one direct vicinity in a small ecosystem where you can where you can cycle over and talk to each other. So when we realized these opportunities and also discussed the responsibilities that go hand in hand with it, we said, okay, so, you know, if something has to change, why not start right here? And if we're starting right here, what should we do? So that's when we came up with this Towards a Brighter Blue mantra and the House of Denham Foundation 10 years ago. So what we do is advocate the good, collaborate for the better and educate the best, our and how do Slogan. you educate the best? So Educate the Best is our platform about education. So we founded this amazing place called the Gene School, which to our astonishment is the only denim dedicated school on the planet where we train young professionals to understand the entire denim value chain and also uh, understand the decisions made throughout the chain which impact circularity or regenerativeness or sustainability, whatever paradigm you choose to adopt. So understanding all about the fibers, the cotton, the blends, the synthetic blends that go into cotton, the dyes, the weaving process, so spinning first, weaving, uh, cutting and sewing garments, laundry, finishing, trims, the marketing of it. And then also, obviously, after use, recycling it back into something we can use as a raw material. And at the time, everybody's like, you're going to do what? Uh, it's eight years ago. And they're like, OK, yeah, whatever. Go for it. So that's the educate. And then the collaborate part is, I think what we're going to be talking about today, is how we can find and connect entrepreneurs and stakeholders from the avant-garde of the industry and club them together to make change. And then advocate is promoting that denim is cool and that sustainable genes can look great and talking about stuff like this. And why is denim cool? Denim denim is cool because it... um, it, uh, well, for, first of all, it's extremely practical, beautiful, and comfortable. Uh, but secondly, it also has a really strong identity rooted in independence, freedom, youth, feeling that you can do stuff. Sadly, denim is also really <laughs> environmentally ugly. Uh, so that's why we sort of bring these two worlds together. You know, like if you're talking about recycling plastics, yippee, recycling plastics, you know, recycling already quite serious. Plastics, pretty serious. Talking about jeans, at least you could think about, you know, wow, yeah, you know. How did you get involved in the textile industry? 
Um, I was actually uh, looking for a job in the consulting industry and to pay the rent I was um, doing odd jobs and uh, one day I was shifting heavy stuff at the soon-to-be headquarters for Pepper Jeans and carrying heavy tables. I was in the elevator talking to a, a bloke who turned out to be the CEO who offered me a job and for some strange reason I said yeah all right I'll be there on Tuesday and sort of that was my what kind of job did you get offered (laughs) (laughs) actually I started off with um, one of the least cool sounding jobs in the industry which was calling retailers to tell them that they had to pay credit control I was the guy calling retailers say hey you've ordered new jeans you haven't paid for the last batch Uh, but then obviously when you're talking to people you hear yeah I haven't paid for them because they were all wrong or they are ugly or I can't sell them I want something else so actually I learned a lot Uh, as a marketing guy, which I am now. And when did you get interested in the environmental and social aspects of the textile industry and as a whole, the mm. world probably? <clears throat> well, from from my job at Pepper Jeans, which became Tommy Hilfiger, I moved to a company called Moshi Moshi, which at the time was a really cool distribution company. At least we thought we were like super cool. We felt like a, a million dollars. And we started to develop our own brand, which is called Blue Blood. And uh, at the time, I also was the co-founder of the Amsterdam Fashion Week, So I became responsible for talking about positioning Amsterdam as a great place for fashion and opportunities and business development. So I was in a position that I was thinking and speaking independently about what's going on and where we should be going. And as a sort of a normal, sensible grown-up at the time, we started to realize it was the start of the rise of the circularity movement and and, and Thomas Rao and Cradle to Cradle and... Uh, Greenpeace and the United Nations videos of polluted rivers and all that kind of stuff. And some of the most senior and inspiring people in the denim industry started to stand up and say, hey, you know, what the world needs is safe food and clean water. The world does not really need another pair of blue jeans. Mm -hmm. This is a quote from Adriana Goldschmidt, um, who's the industry guru par excellence and and from there we said okay so okay so great so you know let's talk about how we can you know improve our opportunities and and, and sort of go for it and at the same time be responsible and um, interestingly at the time the the key ones were probably clean laundry because of the chemicals it was like all about lots of water and chemicals being used So water was a really big one at that time. Um, as time went on, we understood that the chemi- the chemistry part, the clean laundry part, and the clean dyes part is taken care of by the industry, so the chemical industry. We haven't got any of those in Amsterdam. The chemicals industry is all far away in, in the Alps and in China and in the United States. What we do have is the brands. So we started to think more about, okay, so if we're close to the brands and we've got the school, what is the leverage that we can have to connect and inspire people? And so we're talking about talent, and now we're talking a lot about uh, circularity. And what is circularity to you, and why is it so important? So I, I, I'm, I'm old school. I'm reuse, repair, or recycle, right? If you want to get rid of it. So first of all, buy stuff that you love, wear it to bits, and then repair it or reuse it. And then if there's nothing, if all else fails, recycle it, right? So, so that's my paradigm. Looking at industry innovation f- from a meta-systemic point of view. The, the biggest one that hits the planet is waste or wastefulness, right? Because as humans, we consume, we buy stuff. We like to wear 
stuff that's comfortable and looks great and makes us feel good. So then the biggest shame on our industry is that we produce such a lot of crap that is used only once or twice and then chucked out. Right? That is, that's that's a, a huge insult to humanity, the way we treat fast fashion or the way fast fashion impacts on the planet. With all the water and resources that are used often in emerging countries or emerging economies or you know fragile ecosystems and communities. So also as, a, as an anthropologist, which is my background and, and being in business, it's just so wasteful to chuck out all of the stuff. And we sort of, it sort of disappears from view once you've either put it in a Inzamelbach from Symphony or a Leegdes House or you've, you've thrown it into garbage and it sort of miraculously disappears. But it doesn't, obviously. It just sits in warehouses or it, it gets burnt in a, in a furnace to create so-called green energy and, and CO2 emissions. And what I'm so interested in is that technically and mechanically and even economically, it's very feasible for certain types of garments that are unwanted or not rewearable to recapture a lot of the cotton fiber inside. So, for example, if you take jeans or if you take white T-shirts or white shirts or white bed linen, it's technically very easy to chop those up into ever smaller pieces and keep a a fiber that you can use uh, in blends of up to 20 or even 40% without changing too much of the visual or the functional characteristics of the fab fiber. So it's, we, we could do it. It's not, it's not like Jetsons, like, oh, if only we could miraculously you know, turn A into B. It's, it's very feasible. It's just the fact that we don't. And that's what's so intriguing to me. So why, why don't we? And so from a design thinking point of view, it was a really interesting exercise to say, so, so how might we? You know, if it's possible, if it's feasible, then what's going on? And um, interestingly, lots of people from throughout the industry value chain all across the world have been asking the same things. But because of consumer understanding or the way that we, we work as humans, organic, people think, oh, organic. Oh, that must be good because organic chicken is, you know, the best chicken. So then organic cotton must be great for the planet too. But it's not. It's not necessarily good. And it's not a solution for for everyone. It's very, it's it's very less than I think less than one percent of the total global produce of cotton is any form of organic or certified uh, geographically or BCI. So it's a very 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 small part of the total cotton production um, that is organic. So that's not it. But post-consumer recycled sounds so dreadfully unsexy, right? It's like oh, recycled is like hmm. I don't know, probably grey and smelly and dodgy. And where's it come from? I don't know. What has it been before? So as a marketing guy, I was very interested. OK, so how could we change this? And how could we make this the norm, even without involving consumers? You're also a co-initiator of the denim deal. Yes, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. So the denim deal, the denim deal is a funny term. Basically, that comes from government, right? It's a it's a cool version of the Green Deal. And the Green Deal is when the Dutch Ministry of uh, Infrastructure and Water Management gets industries together to collaboratively commit to better practices. And so we spoke to, uh, it was great, the Prime Minister and uh, Vice Minister Stinkie van came to Denham City and uh, we presented our story there together with the team from G-Star. And uh, they said, oh, so great. Well, I'm sure you're connected to all of my teams at the ministry. I said, well, we don't know anyone. Nobody ever talks to us. We don't get 
any support. She said, okay, so I'm putting my best team on your case and we're going to make this happen. That's two years ago. So that's what we did. So we got the Denim deal. We got a team from the ministry. We got a team from the city of Amsterdam and the metropolitan region together with our experts from the value chain thinking, okay, so what, what shape would this get? And then the, the, the Denim deal or the Green deal is this government-sanctioned, uh, government-monitored um, or initiate, co-initiated system of getting people to talk to each other. And then what was great about the system is that in the, de the deal is a, is a sort of a set of commitments that everybody makes towards a shared goal. So, for example, if, if out of the nine steps in our value chain, which we identified, step five needs something, usually they only speak to step four and six, right, the ones before and after. So now we could also get commitments from steps one, two, and three because we've got this total value chain approach. So that was great. So the Denim deal is uh, a set of commitments to collaboratively reach this norm, this aspired norm of 5% of recycled fiber in all genes from the Dutch brands, hopefully eventually to the European brands. So then eventually all of the genes sold in Holland will be 5%, then all of the genes in Europe will be 5%, then maybe globally it will be 5%, and then it will be 6%, 7%, 8%, then we can turn the big, big wheel and systemically we'll have achieved change. I mean, so there. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a big goal, but it sounds like you're you're starting off small percentage-wise. So yeah, I so can see um, how it becomes we need to more bite feasible. off. You know, we need to bite off something which is realistic. Mm -hmm. So now we've bitten off the Amsterdam brands and their existing denim manufacturing suppliers, or a number of the existing suppliers. So we started off with a big volume or a substantial volume from Amsterdam, which is a club of brands which together represent you know, millions of units of genes. And then a number of parties in this first instance in Turkey, because that's where a lot of the trade's already been done. So we've got demand and supply of denim together at the table. So the chicken and the egg, so nobody can say, yeah, the other guys should start because we're already starting. And then from there, the mill, the, the denim manufacturers, the mills, the weaving team is saying, okay, so where do we get the fiber from, right? And that's where the recycling industry comes in because uh, people like Lege des Hales and Symphony, they have lots and lots and lots and lots of garments that they can't sell anymore, but nowhere to go. So now, if we manage to sort out the stuff that we can use, 100% cotton, preferably not in red and pink and yellow and green, because that shows too much, so the denimy colors of cotton, and we can get a substantial volume of demand, then the price for turning that into fiber will be very reasonable, and then we can make denim at similar quality and similar price. And so nobody has to pay more. So there's no need for any subsidies or anything. And business can just go on, except it will be a way better product and we'll be saving water. But what parties exactly are all involved <coughs> in this denim deal? We've got the brands. We've got some brand slash retailers. Then we've got the collection party. So uh, Symphony, Leger des Hales. Then we've got the garment sorting companies like Vilant. Then we've got the tech guys, Fiber Sort, which help us sort out all the stuff we want. Then we've got um, uh, refibering parties, so people that chop up cotton into ever smaller pieces that you get fiber. Uh, those are in Turkey right now. Then we've got the spinners and the weavers and then the garment manufacturing and then the brands and then the retailers and then we've closed the loop. And then governments, obviously, because the governments... Governments give us um, 
mandate. It's government sanctioned. It's a level playing field. It's all above board. It's you. You get to go in a picture with the Staatssekretärs, which is great. Uh, you get to have a meeting in the consulate in Istanbul, which is great. So you feel recognised and important and 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 and, and well supported. They also have expertise. And then the chain, and everybody's there, basically. Yeah, you've talked already about how important it is to close the loop so that everybody talks to each other. That's yeah. how I understand it. Yeah. Um, but how do you get everybody to be together in one room and talk Well, that's the easy one. When people talk about closing the loop, especially if you're talking about an abstract systemic level, it's very vague, right? What, what we actually did was um, getting people from the end of the value chain, right? So Leger de Sales with a warehouse full of stuff that they can't sell or give to anyone, right? And then introduce them physically you know uh, we went on little denim trade mission to istanbul four of us and the consulate team in istanbul helped us to set up a meeting and there was 40 denim and related companies turned up just to meet us because they were so interested in the topic it's amazing and so for the first time ever people who are traditionally dealing with waste disposal, i.e. the end of life of garments. You know, you can't sell it. It goes into the Huisvalscentrale, right? You just burn it up to make make energy. And taking them and holding their hands and then taking them to the mills and the spinneries who usually buy cotton from cotton cooperatives and say, hey, we've got cotton too, you know? You didn't know, but Amsterdam is actually or could be a cotton-producing region because you have so much garment waste if we use this cleverly, we can use that as raw cotton. There's only two or three industrial steps to make. Uh, and so bringing all those people together, uh, fortunately, Amsterdam in the denim industry is a cool place. People come here to do business. People know they're going to talk about innovation. They love visiting the jean school because the, the kids are so cool. So uh, we just got them together and said, all right, so all the seats are filled, you know, all the critical perspectives are at the table. There was even a, a machine, a, a machine manufacturer. So if we need new machines, great. We'll you know, tell us what we'll do, and we'll make a machine that can do it. You know, it's really cool. And we started to try to answer the question, and that's how we did it. Yeah. So closing the loop literally is bringing people together that hadn't ever met or considered doing business with each other, and that's what's happening now. So. We've got meetings, uh, so people calling me from Turkey and saying, hey, that guy you talked about, we need to meet because I met a guy who can do that. So maybe if we do that, we can do business and then they can buy that and then we can buy that and then we can, you know, so it's, um, yeah. Are there still other partners that you would like to get involved? Um, yeah, so so like I said just now, we, we made the smallest, so maybe it's like the minimum viable coalition like to speak in startup terms, you know, the minimum viable product. So we've got the minimum viable coalition to actually make a full, a full closed loop in the industry. Some brands, some mills, some recycling, etc. right? So the big questions are, to become the norm, we'll need way more volume. So we need all of the brands to sign up or to, they don't even need to sign up really. Signing up is just prestigious for the, for the, for the movement. What they need to do is buy denims which have five or more percent of recycled content in it. That's all they need to really do. Tell their buyers and sourcing teams and partners, from now on we want five percent in everything. 
If they do that, it's already great, right? Higher commitments, also good. Um, then we need other denim manufacturers, mills, weavers and spinners to say, yeah, we're also going to take the 5% norm. Let's call it the, the Amsterdam norm to, mm -hmm. to use some branding. They need to adopt that industry practice uh, and then join us in thinking about how we can improve. And what do br brands themselves have to gain from signing up or at least doing yeah, this? Yeah, so that's a really in interesting question. Um, so what they have to gain is that they can be part of the solution, right? What they have to gain is that they don't need to pursue their own responsibilities on their own because everybody in, a, in an industry that's in transition will know you can't do it alone. You know, even the biggest guy or girl will never be able to do this stuff on their own because you need to create a new level playing field. Um, so it would be great if the biggest brands join us, uh, and they will. But so, yeah, so so uh, you're right. So the past half year, I've been reaching out to brands saying, hey, will you join our coalition? Uh, and they say, okay, so yeah, great. So how do I explain this to my boss? You know, uh, what's what's in it for me? Are there any fiscal incentives? Are there any subsidies? You know, um, and all I could do was, you know, quote JFK, you know, ask not what the country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Because that's the essence, right? And that's why we start with the avant-garde. The avant-garde, or at least the Amsterdam avant-garde, are the people that have already been talking about how to improve the status quo for years because it's part of their way of doing business it's not like okay now so okay we're very rich oh now how shall we make our stuff a little bit cleaner no it's like how about how do we as humans and professionals go about doing our business in the way that we think is worthy of our own talents and morals and ambitions right um are there reasons brands could be wary to Yeah, so there's there's yeah, so one of the reasons is that they, they don't want to be seen as greenwashing. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I'm saying oh you're only saying only five percent, you know. Uh so they'd rather be anonymous than, than seen as something negative. Fair enough, you know, a brand's reputations are extremely important. Um but what I th I think the main the main one is that everybody's thinking about it, but they, n very few players in the denim industry are used to collaborating on it. It's a very competitive industry. Everybody's in the shit. You know, retail figures are all down, store closing due to COVID, margins under pressure. It's really rough times for the denim industry. And yet, everybody's looking at their own programs to think, oh, we could do this, we could do that. Oh, but then, shit, what do we do with that one? So everybody's bumping into their own problems and, and trying to do the best they can on their own. So what they have to gain is being part of this network of people that have a can-do attitude, that have best practices. So, for example, talking about PCR, post-consumer recycled denim, it's less sexy than organic. So if consumers are asking for organic and retailers are asking for organic, organic certified even, then you make that and you make money, right? You can sell. If we, So now that we are promoting and explaining the importance of post-consumer recycled cotton blends. Finally, everybody in the chain that wants to do this can say, yeah, I want to do it, let's do it. So that's the, that's the big advantage. Also, in the longer run, so let's say this becomes a norm and even it becomes the law, right? So mm -hmm. what if you either 
have to have 5% uh, recycled content or you get taxed if you don't, right? So it's either the law or you get punished fiscally, right? Then the question's going to be, shit, I need partners that can get their hands on this shit, right? And if you're not part of the team, dude, you're going to be lost, you know? So I'm thinking way, way, way ahead. Um, Because when can we expect a law like this? Yeah, never. I don't think, I think, don't think, maybe European law could be, probably it will be guidelines. It'll be more like carrots and sticks. System change happens when the mechanics of an industry change. And that's what we're trying to do in the denim deal, to actually make the denim industry have a different business as usual. And interestingly, I was talking to um, some mathematicians today, right? People who do maths, complicated mm -hmm. maths. And they're saying, yeah, actually, it's a systemic equation. It's a mathematical equation. Uh, it's, uh, I can't repeat the formula, but they said, if you want part of a system to change, the entire system needs to be seen in this different way. And so one of the inversions, so one of the changes that you need to make, and they were taking uh, Airbnb versus hotels as, a, as, a, as an example, right? Usually you'd have like, you'd invest like gazillions in a brand and a change of hotels, change of hotels, or you can make an app and the customers become the hotel, right? And so they're thinking in that way, right? And so interestingly, what it will take for this change is for brands to see each other, not as competitors, but as partners, and uh, for customers to see themselves not as customers perhaps, but as competitors, right? So all of these redefinitions are part of the big change. It's really complicated to explain. But the good thing is, due to the denim deal and the projects that will be organized within the denim deal, we're getting really great entrepreneurs, really great thinkers, even maths people, thinking about good old Spekebrugge, good old jeans, which is great because it's, a, it's an iconic thing. It's, a, it's, it's something we love and something we can change. So the denim deal has, been, has allowed us to mobilize uh people you know vice ministers and vice mayors and great people around the transition of the denim industry and how do the specific yeah ideas come to be articulated in these mechanics and like who actually decides what needs to be done yeah so um the last phase of our work so the first phase was researching what could be done then the second phase was designing the mechanics of this sort of systemic change with the 5% and the 20% and whatever we should do and getting people on board, the, the first coalition. And then the last six months, what we've been doing is identifying what everybody in those various steps needs to be able to do their part. And so that was a process of meetings and interviews and co-creation workshops. And so now that is translated into the commitments Right, the commitments are now there, and now uh, what we need to do in the next step, and uh, now that we've signed and formed this first coalition, is to identify a number of projects. So, for example, one of the projects that I'm really excited about is talking to retailers and the logistics partners of the denim industry, and saying, "Hey, what if we could come up with a shared return system?" Right. So, we, you know, in, in soft drinks you have uh, and beers, you have uh, return crates and everybody knows what to do and there's a uh, statue held. What if there was every 
delivery guy from UPS or DHL or whatever knows, oh, if I go to do deliveries at a fashion store, I can get a blue bag. And in the blue bag will be jeans and they will have to go to head office. And all the head offices know, oh, there's a whole pile of blue bags. Send the truck over to to Vilant in Vormavir where they will be sorted and recycled or to Legdeshaus or to Symphony or whatever. Then at very, very low incremental total cost, we can organize the chain back and then consumers can drop off their jeans when they go in and buy a new T-shirt or something new. So there's a, a course of action or a handling perspective for everyone. And the result of that is that we have this huge pile of jeans which can be very efficiently turned into cotton again. Because one of the complicated th factors is if you have this huge bundle of garments that are unrewearable, unsellable, and you have a purple nylon tracksuit and a pink woolen jumper and some old socks and some shoes and a pair of jeans, there's a lot of work to separate those out again, right? There's machines that can do it, but the best thing would be is if we collaboratively find ways to get great sources of cotton back to the system cheaply, right? So all the hotel linen is owned by one or two companies. What if we get the, our hands on that lot that can go straight into the refibering? You've got beautiful white cotton fiber, can make jeans out of it just like that. So all of that kind of thinking has now been identified because the recycling and the weaving guys said, yeah, it's all very well. We'll make whatever you want, but where can we get our hands on suitable fiber material? And then now that there's a demand and there's a business case, parties will look at how they can do that cost efficiently, et cetera, et cetera. So the key magic to this thing is that we've connected all the dots in the value chain, but then also we've we've gotten projected demand from the brands to the mills, to the refibering guys, to the recycling guys, so that eventually there is... So if, if a kilogram of virgin cotton is about a euro, right? So the mills now buy cotton on the market for about a euro per kilogram. What if our now pile of unrewearable jeans is worth zero now? But what if it only costs 50 cents to refiber it back into cotton? Then you've got something which costs a euro per kilogram or our alternative, the recycled cotton for Amazon, only costs 50 cents, right? Then if you get the volume high enough, you can pay for all of the extra costs related and we can start to reuse it at scale. But you need the demand first, and then you get the supply. And who is in charge of managing the process and holding all these parties accountable for these steps? Aha! For now, until we come up with the formal structure, it's the Denim Deal team, which is the city of Amsterdam and the metropolitan area, and then people from the ministry. But they're all basically part of the project, but then probably their role will end at some point, except for the Amsterdam because they've committed to textile and recycling, so they'll probably stay on. Uh, but uh, operationally, it's, it's, it's me and my team at the House of Denim because we're sort of the linking pin for now. Who's holding them accountable? That's something that we're going to design collaboratively, right? Because monitoring, you want an outside party to do the monitoring, right? You don't want to have to me to have to monitor you or you monitoring me, that's no good. So the, the process that we've designed or agreed on now is that firstly, we'll do a sort of like a benchmarking. We'll all set our current performance. And then we'll also each say what our own target performance will be. And we'll make that public. 
And then we'll also share on an annual basis our progress towards the goals. So that's the current system. Um, possibly at some point we'll need some more formal monitoring, some checks and balances, some norms, uh, some proof. But since we started out with a team of visionary people who wanted change, you know, why would you cheat if you really want change? You know, there's no there's no cheating involved. So I don't really need any checks and balances. For me, the system is a success when Turkish manufacturers start calling me and saying, hey, how can I get my hands on Amsterdam cotton? Because my clients are asking for it. So it's, it's become business, right? It's supply and demand. So then I'm saying, okay, so call, call Wieland in Vormerveer. You know, they've got piles of old jeans, piles and piles and piles of it. And they can call Leichter's house and they can call their hotel partners, etc. There's a shitload of stuff we can ship over to you if the price is right. So let's just do business. If the, the mills want our stuff and they're making denim out of it and the brands have asked them to make it and they're not telling their consumers to pay more or less for it, then there's no reason to lie. There's just only a reason to look for more, you know? I'm personally not sure about the accountability aspect of it. I think if we meet up every year and say, Oi, you said you were going to do 40,000. How much have you done? 35? Hey, what went wrong? You know, what was, what, how can we collaboratively solve? Or, yeah, we wanted to do a million units, but uh, we couldn't get our cotton into Turkey. Customs, very important problem. Okay, then I will personally call the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and ask them to call their tax ministry and solve it because we all want this to happen. And the government is committed to using the diplomatic efforts that they can to smoothing it out. So, so yeah, we'll see. It's yet to be proven. Uh, but I think there's, there's a reason to be optimistic. At what point will you think the project has been successful? Well, this denim deal formally ends at the end of 2023. So that's the end. <laughs> um, Uh, I I actually secretly, or now not secretly, feel it's already a success because business has begun. But the end, end, end goal of this whole process is, like I said before, when all of the genes in the world, in the global industry, have accepted and implemented the norm that, of course, you use some recycled, you know, it's like tap water. Of course, some of it comes from the dunes and some of it comes from rivers. Why on earth would you put mineral water on the tap? It doesn't make any sense, right? And that's what we're doing now. We're pouring mineral water through the tap and through the shower because we're using virgin fiber and they're using it only once and then chucking it out, right? So, so when the entire industry has understood and adopted blends of virgin and recycled fiber, that's almost the end game. When that has then increased, although we've found a new equilibrium of what makes most sense, then the end game is there. But that's like, and I only realize it's because I've been talking to mathematicians. They're almost like philosophical about systems change. But that's, that's the end game, that all the genes in the world have, have an increased amount of post-consumer fiber in it. The Refill Project is also developing a software to visualize material flows and facilitate a peer-to-peer -peer economic network that helps circular practices. Do you think such software could help in the denim deal? And if so, how? So I've been focusing mainly on when stuff has no more value in wearing it, recycle it. Right? That's uh, the sort of the basic paradigm starting point for this one. I would say that a peer-to-peer -peer system is 
is more interesting when you're talking about swapping and sharing, which is a whole different area of the sustainability global debate. Um, it's always great to visualize stuff. Like when Studio, I think Studio Drift made these amazing art installations of ingredients with the little cubes of nickel and the cubes of wool and everything. Symbolic, symbolically and beautifully showing that actually we're, we're just all collections of resources put together. I think that that is a really important one because currently people can't really imagine, they can't grasp, you know, so... So I'm actually wearing 7,000 liters of water. Yep. And so like seven pounds of CO2, what does that look like? You know, um, you know, if we could only make a brick of CO2, which weighed a kilogram, we could start talking about bricks. You know, there's this wonderful uh, analogy or nasty analogy of the deforestation of the rainforest, which they call Belgiums, because they're talking about, you know, s spaces roughly the size of Belgium that have been chopped and burnt, right? It's a metric that you could sort of get a grasp of. It's something that you can see on the world map, right? That sort of size. And so if we come up with great visualizations of, of stuff, so for example, if you were more conscious of what you're buying when you're buying and the alternative options, then you can choose. Currently, you can only feel guilty. Like, oh, I bought something. Probably it's no good. Oh, stick them, I feel great. You know, it's like, oh, guilt. Whereas if you know, hey, you can either buy this gene or that gene, this one has only so much water or this one saves, which is what we do, like incremental savings. So we say a gene with 20% post-consumer recycled cotton saves, I think we're saying 750 liters of water per garment, right? So if I could make an installation showing 750 bottles of Evian, right? which this gene saves. So you're buying this gene, let's say a Kings of Indigo gene, 120 euros, amazing, cool style, great fit, everything. And it saves 750 bottles of water, Evian water, compared to this gene from brand X, which is not using any PCR. And it's like, wow, what the fuck? I'm buying that gene, cool. You know, it's such an easy decision when you see it that way. And that's why visualization is really important because currently we don't know, but we can't also, our brain can't grasp the difference between the two because we're talking about CO2. And I think, yeah, so I came on my bike. He came on his brummer or in his car or he flew here. So then, you know, what really is the impact of one lifestyle choice of this gene versus that gene if it's only about CO2, which is we can't humanly imagine what a CO2 is. Right or what it does, so making it more visual and more relatable is very important. If a similar deal to the denim deal was to be replicated in other areas like plastic, mm. what would be the key ingredients to make it a success? Um, I think we all take this very personally, uh, and I think that's make it extra hard but also extra valuable. I think uh, the fact that we all trusted each other is very important because now there's no fake commitments at the table. Everybody's sincerely committed to making this happen. So probably there are similarities and probably there are differences. The similarity in any transition for any industry is that you need volume. So it's all very well for people to say, hey, look, I've made 
shoes from chewing gum that we scraped off the street that's amazing but that's never going to be the industry right so i would recommend anyone who wants to make a transition to look at the heart of the industry and ways of systemically changing the industry without trying to make value judgments or change everything right so look for small ways to change the big machine and see if you can get those people at the table and ask them what their ambitions are because that was the thing when we found out that the brands some of the brands wanted pcr and the mill said we'd love to make it but nobody's asking for it so, right chicken and the egg let's you know let's make omelets right so bringing people together uh, is one also i think trust is a very important issue because lots of systems are built to do governance and like you were saying um, accountability and all that what, what if you start from the premise that people are good in essence and want to change and let me let me predict this in the coming uh, eight to nine years that we have left till 2030 the SDGs are going to become every day it's going to be there's going to be CO2 emissions on the news. It's going to be forest fire reports, just like viele Warschuinger, you know, like traffic jam reports. We're going to have forest fire reports. We're going to have smog reports, day-to-day -day normal normal lives. So improving and 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 accelerating the transition um, is going to be more and more important. And I don't think that these sort of Tesla-esque magical transitions are going to happen in many industries, I, I, I think it's going to come from hard work and incremental change. And it's an opportunity to meet amazing people. So let that be an encouragement because uh, it's good to do your job and improve the industry that you're working in. That's, that's, that's our assignment for the, for the years ahead. Thank you so much, James Fainoff. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Anique.